you know, if you think back 50 to 100 years ago, it's not that long ago, most of us lived with nature. To try and say slot in nature is an awful way to do it because really, yes, everything else is make-believe. So I want them to have sort of a affective, you know, emotional connection with nature first and not a cognitive thought about what nature is or should be. Um, so for me, my favorite question isn't what is global citizenship? I think it's a pretty boring conversation where you try and come up with a definition. So I always use the question, are you a global citizen? And then it has to become personal and practical. Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Today we have two guests on the show, Darcy Lund and Kenny Peavy. Darcy is Education Motion's Group Head for Sustainability and Global Citizenship. And for the past 20 years, Darcy has experienced more than 90 countries, given over 1,300 presentations to over 120,000 people, and worked with leading development, environmental, social justice, and global education organizations and people. He's also the founder of the organization Teaspoons for Change, which focuses on the personal choices, decisions, and actions that have a positive impact on people on the planet. Kenny Peavy holds several roles at Queen School Bali. He's been teaching in the region for 20 plus years as a science teacher, an expedition leader in Malaysia, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, and Vietnam. He's also the curriculum developer for the Green Schools Green Camp and a strong advocate that you might have seen in webinars on LinkedIn about taking uh, students, learners of all ages outside. Now, in this conversation, we have two different guests and they come at the idea of sustainability education, of connecting with the outdoors from different perspectives, but they're complementary perspectives and they overlap in so many ways. The idea is that our lives are experiences, our lives are the way we make meaning from experiences, and we reconnect with nature, we find that connection that we may have lost by experiencing nature. And so the conversation will oscillate between what might be considered metaphysical, but also the concrete and the practical of how educators can create experiences for learners that allow them to experience nature in different ways. Check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.design. We've got resources there and articles and uh, links to the podcast and so forth. And check out Intrepid News on www.intrepidednews.com. And in the meantime, I will leave space for my conversation with Darcy and Kenny. Well, hi, Kenny and Darcy. I'm really excited to have both of you on the show. Now, all three of us uh, shared a meal not a couple of weeks ago. Now we're in different locations, Bali, Switzerland, Chiang Mai. So I'm really glad that we can convene uh, in this space. I'll start off asking the question that uh, we ask everyone. And from there, we'll just probably try to explore ideas in terms of not just sustainability education, but what it means to connect with nature, what it means to create uh, and open spaces for learners to feel nature and start to fall in love with it again, and what that might mean beyond just recycling bins and, and compost heaps. So let's start with the question that we always ask, which is, uh, and maybe I'll start with uh, Darcy, because it's alphabetical order. Who are you and what story do you want to tell? Uh, thanks very much, Benjamin, and uh, good to be here with Kenny. Um, the good old question of who are you? Uh, we I've actually used that question a lot with students where you try and go a few layers deeper and they, they speak quite, um, uh, I suppose, practically in the sense of saying I'm Australian or uh, I'm the youngest of six children or you know some of the kind of fact-based things. 
But then eventually, if you keep asking that question, you get deeper and deeper. So I'll, I'll, I'll just plunge straight in. So who am I? Um, I don't know who I am. Um, and I love that I don't know that. And that's a free-flowing space for it to, to be there and evolve. Um, I mean, really, we're just consciousness. So if I'm, if I'm getting more kind of metaphysical about it, <laughs> that I, I don't really know who we are. It's a, it's a manifestation, a made-up concept. But uh, but because we do have a consciousness, then I love to to dance in that space. Um, and so for me, yeah, I, I just I had have had a bunch of wonderful experiences, and they've led me to have a strong sense of purpose. So I think um, a part of who I am is to have that very strong sense of purpose. My sense of purpose is to wake up every day and be a part of a movement that can support ending extreme poverty. Um, and I've had that since. September 2001, when I first went to climb mountains in Kyrgyzstan, did a spot of volunteering on the side and uh, then fell in love with service and learning and volunteering and um, trying to be an active global citizen in the best way possible through humility and uh, connecting to humanity. So maybe I'll pause there. And we're going to touch on a lot of those topics. And Kenny, uh, I'm very uh, fortunate. I, I was able to, to hear you at a webinar a few weeks ago with Charlotte, and, and there's a lot there in terms of some of the purpose that you have as well. But, but who are you? What story do you want to tell? All right. I definitely love uh, Darcy's sort of philosophical, metaphysical approach, and I do think about that quite a lot. Um, but I'll, I think I'll start with a bit more pragmatic. Uh, I'm teacher. I guess you would say I'm a, a, a parent. I'm an explorer, an adventurer, someone that really loves nature. And I think going back to childhood, that's really where all of this came about. Um, you know, when I give talks or seminars, I always ask the audience, like, how many of you grew up playing outside until the lights were turned on, the street lights, or until the sun went down? And you can kind of tell people's age based on that. And um, that's how I grew up just outside all the time, riding bikes, playing football, climbing trees, building, you know, huts in the woods and forts and things. And I think the biggest thing was just playing outdoors, flipping over logs, jumping in creeks, playing in streams. And I just remember at a really young age, getting really curious and thinking, what is in this stream and how does it work? Because we would catch little crayfish and little tiny fish. And even at that time, I had no idea about, you know, macroinvertebrates and all the cool critters that live in the stream. But that really impacted me because later I went on to university to study biology and then I ended up getting jobs in the aquatic ichthyology lab and the macroinvertebrate extreme ecology lab and just really taking what I had learned as a kid playing outdoors, you know, growing up playing the streams, flipping over the logs, and now I could actually study it in a scientific way and really start to understand it. And I think after all these years, I still don't understand it. It's still a mystery. And I think that's the beauty of it. I still walk outside and see something really cool. And I think, what is that? And how does that work? How does nature work? So I think that's the story I want to tell. It's like growing up as a child, playing outdoors, fishing, camping, playing, and then wondering what makes nature tick. How does it work? So yeah, we'll, I think we'll stop there. And that opens up an interesting possible point of entry to the next question that we ask. And, and I've asked this question to over 75 people and I've had over 75 answers. We work in schools, work in education. We don't often talk about what is learning. So 
I, I, I'm curious, given this experience, Kenny, in terms of, of asking the questions, how does nature work? How does that influence the way you conceptualize and perhaps define or see learning? How, how do you define learning? Well, you know, there's a couple of simple answers. I love quotes and I love these sort of uh, memes that go around on the internet with all these famous quotes. So I'll start with a couple of those. And I think one, and I, I don't know who said it, but it's... um. All learning is experience. Everything else is just information. So I think that's where I always want to start is, you know, experiential education, experience. And I'm a science teacher. So having some sort of laboratory to experience or even if you're an outdoor setting, experiencing nature. So I think for me personally, that's sort of the the foundation is having an experience and then wondering after that. So in my own case, you know, playing in the stream. And having that experience of wanting to know what was in the stream and then asking the question. And I think that, you know, the other quote that I just posted today on my social media is tell me and I forget, teach me and I remember, involve me and I'll learn. And I think you've heard some variation of that probably along the way. And it basically hits at the same crux, you know. Um, if if you really want people to understand or, or to really get deep, they have to have a, some sort of personal connection or some per, personal experience with whatever it is you want to learn. And Darcy, you mentioned uh, this idea of, or at least you suggested this idea of trying to issue labels, trying to not necessarily call ourselves Australian or French or whatever. This is my name, and 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 being the embodiment of these experiences. And you you hinted as well that you are the culmination of these experiences. I'm, I'm kind of putting words in your mouth, but that's the spirit that I got. If you take what Kenny says about learning through the experience, how does that work? How does that connect with, with some of the ways that you see learning and growth and, and, and that sense of purpose? Yeah, and to follow on beautifully from, from Kenny's words as well, is I always say that my education started the day I finished university um, because, because it was without walls. It was experiential. It was based on the the reality of the place and the situation and the people that I was amongst. Um, so to be honest, you know, whilst I'm involved in institutional education, I'm not a big fan of it. Like I, I, I can't complain about it because I'm a part of that system, but I would love to see us have a, an evolution, a revolution, a uh, whatever it is around education and taking it from something that is institutionalized to something that is experiential and based on our, our needs as humans and connection and, and all the important things that I think um, get left behind when you're, you're so busy trying to learn content rather than context. So I think for me, learning, yeah, I mean, experiences are the richest thing in my life and always will be. Um, and the best things in life, you know, 99.9% .9 of the time aren't things. So I think for me, learning is about experiencing, connecting, sharing, evolving, questioning, never being right, um, being open, just all those different facets of, of learning because I've learned from so many different people in so many circumstances. And yes, including those institutional places, so I'm, I shouldn't knock it down too hard, but, uh, but I think learning shouldn't be confined to a classroom or to a teacher um, in that traditional sense. I was want to add to that, if I can, really quickly. Um, Darcy just reminded me, probably one of my sort of foundational experiences in university, I had a professor, I'll never forget, Professor Poss, and we were studying classical Greek literature. And he used to come into class 
screaming in Greek and Latin and no one could understand him. We spent a whole semester just reading the Iliad, like for 12 weeks, we just read that one story and talking about arete and virtue. And it's made such an impression, but he used to say, the best thing you can ever do is get out of this university and start learning. And I, I, I took it to heart. Like, I think that's a great way that uh, Darcy framed it. And obviously that professor, you know, made a big impact on me in that Greek literature class just by being a kind of an interesting character, but also saying that like the best thing to do is get out of university so you can start learning something. And I think Darcy nailed it on the head. With that. And can you fucking riff off that one as well, just quickly? Sorry. <laughs> is, um, is that idea of always being a learner though. I mean, I, I, I really don't like the the phrase or the term of teacher. Um, we just always have to be a learner because there's humility in that. And I think humility is is probably one of the greatest tools for us to to be a learner and to have learning for, for anyone of any age at any time. And especially in today's world where this is the first time in the history of our species that we can fundamentally learn something new from someone who whose age is in the single digits. They can teach us things that, that could never happen before, this whole idea of learner. And, and I know we talk also a lot about lifelong learning, which is a term that I'm not very comfortable with because I just think that we don't need to signpost that. We're always learning through our interactions and our relationships with the world. And much of what you said, Kenny and Darcy, you know, the experience is also about those relationships, be it the, 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 the professor at, at university or whatever, those relationships that open up those spaces. Um, how, how, how does that connect as well, this, this idea of uh, not just relationships between each other, but relationships with nature, relationships with our surroundings? How does that open up spaces for learning and for growth? I'll let Darcy take that first. <laughs> <laughs> thanks kenny um i mean I, I think the the word relational so you know we're always in relation to to something uh and i, I don't know through through this line of questioning i've just found that connection is the is the strongest thing that we can have in the world um and but it's difficult as well so i think the complexity of all those kinds of things but in relationship to everything and one of the the favorite tools I know Kenny uses at the and the Green School and many others is that compass education, the uh, the sustainability compass. You know, the systemic thinking and systems thinking and how are things interrelated and connected. So, so for me, I, I really I, I use a lot in in a lot of my work with teachers and students and schools is our, our lenses. You know, what's the the big picture lens that we have and how we fit into this one finite planet with 8 billion people, that big meta, you know, thought narrative. And then what does that mean to me? The flip side of that, because what does that mean to me as an individual and my personal choices, decisions, and actions? And so I think for me to, to work out our relationship and connection to these things, it just some, some tools that we sort of have to keep putting in front of our eyes or lenses that we need to keep putting in front of our eyes is are that, you know, that big picture thinking of collective context and the individual, you know, who am I and how do I fit into this this situation? All right. Yeah, and I think, you know, bouncing off that, just thinking a bit, a bit about it, um, for me, everything is connection and relationship. And like Darcy mentioned, I use the Compass, which is a systems thinking tool. I, even before that, I, I had systems ecology. You know, I was really lucky. I, I went to the Institute of Ecology in the uh, University of Georgia, which at the time had some really famous thinkers and some really famous scientists. And I got to spend time with them and just learning 
about systems thinking, uh, ecosystems and how those are connected. And basically everything boils down to connection and relationship. And so I know that's kind of an amorphous answer, but I guess to get more specific, you know, the three things I think about are connection with self. So know thyself, you know, that I think that was a famous uh, Greek, I think it was on the Parthenon or something, one of those famous places where you walked in and that was the, the first thing. And then knowing others, knowing your relationship with others, and that's sort of our connection with other human beings, and that would be our social connections. And then connection with nature or the cosmos. And going back to what, you know, the sort of philosophical answer Darcy gave at the very beginning about who he is, knowing your relationship with, you know, the ecosystems, your habitat, your biomes, but then keep going from there, the relationships with the cosmos. And getting you can get way deep and philosophical into that, but I think those are the three basic things: knowing yourself, knowing others, and knowing this planet and where you fit fit in. And this really opens up the possibilities for the, the, how excited I was to have both of you in the same uh, virtual room because we are looking at two different things. So we're looking at, at least on a very high level generalization, if we just looked at it um, uh, for, in terms of words, we have one person whose purpose is service, the other one whose purpose might be getting kids out of nature. And that's a huge simplification, but I'm taking it specifically for that reason, that in schools so often we have a fairly strong, maybe, I don't know, at least more developed service offering. And then sometimes we have sustainability education and nature but we don't always see the connections between the two. We don't always see the fact that uh, opening ourselves up for service and contribution and opening ourselves to nature can be, I mean, are the same thing, that, that they, 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 they open up the same mindsets, the same frameworks, the same approaches to life. Can you talk a bit about why that might be a disconnect in schools and perhaps what we might do to reconcile that? Um, maybe just before we get to the, the disconnect, I'll, I'll give an example of the connect because I think Kenny's uh, words before helped me take, took my mind back to indigenous communities where I've been fortunate to to listen and learn and and experience um, those ways of thinking and doing and and that non-duality aspect of the, there is no such thing as me and nature or me in a tree. It's it's us. Um, and I certainly didn't have that growing up at all. You know, it was all about football and cricket and running around in South Australia. But um, but when you get to see people who have that relationship where it's 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 connected, it's totally connected. Uh, I used to be quite envious of it, and I think we can get to the point where we can have an appreciation of our connection to those things, and that's people, and that's planet, and that's all these different aspects of our lives, then we're really starting to move to a higher level. And, and I just think these kinds of questions happen far more frequently and conversations and, and ambitions to try and have those kinds of connections. But in order to do so, you're right, we need to work out what are the barriers around that and why do we disassociate sustainability from people uh, or we don't go outside and do our classes in, in that institutional sense out in the snow here in uh, in in um, Switzerland or in the jungle there as the green school absolutely does. So yeah, I'll just throw that, that out there as a bit of a provocation before we get into your answer properly. I, I, I think I can start there because this is something that I definitely think about a lot um, is that disconnection. And I think there's 
one really root cause, and that's, you know, around 2017, for the first time in human history, we had more people living in urban areas than in rural areas. So we've kind of lost that connection. You know, if you think back 50 to 100 years ago, it's not that long ago. Most of us lived with nature. We lived on a farm. We lived in rural areas. We had a direct connection with our food, our gardens, and our neighbors. But as we've transitioned more to developed areas, I think we've lost that. Um, and it was sort of a realization for me because I've taught in these schools as well. And as a result, you know, a lot of these schools are in urban areas and they are in sort of concrete blocks or neighborhoods that don't have a lot of natural space nearby. And it struck me at one point when I was teaching at one of those schools, I I would ask my students, do you care about nature? And 100% of them would say yes. But it was more of a a cognitive think, thinking that they were thinking about nature in a certain way, but they had no heartfelt deep connection with nature. Because I was wondering if, if all of them say yes, but none of them are doing anything outdoors. I don't know how that works. And so that's that's sort of what started driving me to figure out the, that answer. And one of the answers I came to, of course, is they, they don't have much direct experience. And at one point, I actually went so far as to survey my kids. And I think it was something like four hours per month outdoors playing in nature. And so I think that's a big part of that answer. Um, and these would be a middle school kids, I think grade seven, so 12 to 13 year olds. But I'd surveyed about 150 kids in my classes and um, found out that, you know, four hours a month, an hour a week, that's about all the time they had to play outdoors. And so that's sort of what started me on this path and on this quest of like getting kids outdoors first, because, you know, like I said in the beginning, I love these sort of quotes and these memes. And one of the things that I, I often say is if you don't know it, you can't love it. And if you don't love it, you won't take action to protect it. And I I, I feel like that's one of the one of the things that's driving me personally to just connect kids to nature first and then the sustainability, the conservation, the action comes later. So I, I want them to have sort of a affective, you know, emotional connection with nature first and not a cognitive thought about what nature is or should be. So that that's kind of where I'm coming from. And, and to a large extent, this idea, this, this metaphysical idea, that this philosophical idea, this spiritual idea that we are nature is uh, not necessarily in the dominant narrative. It's not necessarily the discourse that we hear every day. So it, it, in many ways, it's, it's a stretch for, for many folks uh, because they're just not used to it. Not saying that it's not attainable or, or something that's not acceptable or, or out of reach, but, but it is a stretch because it's, it's a new idea, just like every new ideas are. So I want to explore this idea of, of, of getting kids, getting adults, learners of all ages connected with nature how does might that happen in these urban areas? How might that happen in, and this is where we're going to kind of mix the two because uh, Darcy of what you mentioned about, about ending extreme poverty, maybe it's not even extreme poverty. Maybe it's just urban settings where there's not so much access to, um, to, to certain spaces. Now we always have parks and so forth, but, but how do we work with situations in urban areas or, or in underprivileged areas where there, it isn't so easy to connect with nature. How, how do we take that first step? What are some of the more concrete strategies that we might take? Henning, do you want to peel off on this one first? Yeah, sure. I, I think 
at least here in Indonesia, if you go to the village in what you might consider less privileged areas, you're going to find that the kids still play outdoors. And it used to happen to me. I, I used to live in East Bali in a pretty rural area. And I would have kids like the good old days rock up into my yard on their bicycles. I have no idea who they are. No adults around, no parents. I don't know who they belong to. And they might play in my yard for a few minutes. And then they would just all as a gang, just kind of disappear into the rice fields and back into the village. And so I've seen the opposite where I've seen it's the, the urban, more privileged kids that spend their times in malls and spend their times in air conditioning buildings that are less connected with nature. They have more of a cognitive, you know, academic idea of nature, but less of a uh, hands-on experience playing outdoors. So I've seen the opposite, I, I think, at least here in Indonesia. Um, but that's probably the question I get asked the most. I, you know, to, when I give workshops or talks, the things that people always ask me is like, I'm in a big city. I'm in Shanghai. I'm in Kuala Lumpur. I'm in Singapore. I How do I get kids out to nature or how do I bring nature into my school? And, you know, there's no magic answer. The answer is perseverance, hard work and go outside. Um, but, you know, some of the pragmatic sort of things, uh, examples that I like to give is start a hiking club, you know, once once a week or once a month. Take your personal time on your weekends and your holidays and get outside yourself and, you know, start experiencing the wild places nearby. I haven't been everywhere in the world, so I can't say every place in the world has this, but every place I have been in Southeast Asia has something nearby, whether it's, you know, waterfalls you can hike to or bird parks that you can go to or even city parks that you can go to. And, yeah, while it may not be as awesome as a camping trip and you know the national park in thailand it's still something it's still connecting with nature somehow and so you know urban birding groups mountain bike hashes find something whatever it is one of the things i used to do when i moved across from the states from america was i would volunteer with people to go out and help their field work you know help them collect information or data on their their birds in their area and I would just write people and say, hey, I've got a science background. I've got a teaching background. I want to learn more. What if I volunteer and help you with your, your research? So I would connect with ecologists or scientists or people and say, you know, here I am. What can I do? Then I, I found that everybody would always, and they would always appreciate free labor. So that, that's always one way to get in the door, back door as well, to just learn about your area. I wonder how much systemic resistance there is to connecting with nature. Just putting it out there, it's easy to say, yes, we're going to connect with nature, but is there something that's embedded in the system with the exams, with the tests, with the drive in most systems to, to get results which are quantified? You get a, you know, whatever, a 42 on your IB or a, you know, a four on your AP. Is it possible that the system is, is made to resist our connection with nature because of this process of getting the kids through exam and seeing going out and connecting as not a waste of time, but an inefficiency when it comes to producing uh, kids that do well in exams. Yeah, I, I think the pendulum is shifting a bit in that space. I mean, I, I work with a group of schools based in China. So they're the, you know, Shanghai, 26 million people, Beijing, Suzhou, name any city in China that's less than 10 million people. You know? 
Um, and so, so for me about the connections nature is really difficult. Um, and yes, there are systems and processes and structures, but I always think it does also come down to that, that cultural sense of, and, and this isn't specific to China, this is just humanity, of where do we value nature? Where does it fit into our daily routine and our the things that we um, find are important in our lives and, and give us energy and happiness and growth and, and exploration, discovery? So I, I think it's kind of coming back because we've shifted so far away from it to sort of an operation manual version of life that has to be quite you know, orderly and, and structured and all those sorts of things. So I, I know in our urban areas, in our schools in China and elsewhere, there's there's a much bigger effort to have outdoor learning. Um, people getting excited about this again. You know, how do we go back to growing our food? What does it look like? Uh, looking up at the sky, what are the clouds doing today? You know, can we go out and try and catch a leaf? So, just some of these quite small things that that eventually compound themselves so that you can bring those worlds together. So I don't think that there's an active ingredient at the moment to try and push away from it. But I, I think it's just the way that we've had all these social constructs that have brought us to this point where academic is number one, you know, maybe depending on your sports, your school sports might be number two and, you know, nature is number four or a green school would be number two and those sorts of things. So it's, uh, I think it's just kind of striking a balance and finding where we can slot in a few of these things. But to try and say slot in nature is an awful way to do it because really, yes, everything else is make-believe. Everything else is is a social construct, whereas that tree is is the most natural thing that we we have in our life and to go and connect with it seems so foreign at this moment. Um, but, I, but I think an appreciation of nature and an appreciation of our connection with people and the planet, you know, 20 years ago, people like Kenny and myself and others were kind of the crazy people in the corner having these conversations, but, uh, but they happen in all of our schools in Beijing and Shanghai and elsewhere. So uh, yeah, it's, it, it is a balance between all those things. We've got some, some challenges ahead. But I do feel like momentum is picking up and we're sort of moving in that direction to to really value our connection, that eco-literacy, where you have to use these, these hybrid words that honour nature but bring it into a, a system uh, context. So things like that I, I think are really important. Yeah, and I think to add to that, it, in my experience, it's not only systems, but a lot of it is learned behavior, and that that goes back to the parents. I, I've noticed if I have kids whose parents, on you know, on their holidays are going camping or going snorkeling, those kids are outdoorsy. And I think every city has that, like parents that want to get out of the city. But I think that's a huge part of it is if the parents value it um, and want their kids to be playing outside, and if they take them around, you know, away on holidays to go rafting or mountain biking or camping or you know fishing or whatever outdoor sort of recreation or sport those kids are more likely to have some sort of connection and and you know be part of that as opposed to getting them to value it might be the tricky part and i think darcy's right it's changing um you know in some of these schools parents do say you should be doing your algebra homework why are you wasting time playing outside because they don't realize how much learning is taking place playing outside and so they don't value it. So I think that's a big part of the, the the educational process for parents to learn that. And this brings up this idea of permission and who gives permission. Do we get permission from someone or do we give ourselves permission? 
And, and I want to segue using this uh, or thinking about this in terms of some of the things that we've been saying on the podcast, which is um, this idea that, that we're, we're learning, if we look at it in terms of the natural world, we, we, we grow from the inside. Everything in the natural world grows from the inside, but within a certain context that you have to have a certain amount of you know, soil or food or water or sun or whatever it might be. So it's, it's at, that, at, at that space between well, that artificial line between the, 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 the outside and the inside, that, that immovable boundary that, that we have between the two. But specifically here in terms of permission, in terms of growing from the inside, Kenny, I know you've mentioned a lot of time this, this necessity, I'm going to use that word necessity, to, to seize the opportunities for learning, to seize the opportunities to make connections, for saying, hey, if something comes up, let's just go outside and see what that might look like, rather than set within the, the, the marching orders, perhaps, of a, of, a, of a specific plan. How does that happen? How does that emergence happen in your classroom? And specifically, what kind of opportunities has it brought about and some of the challenges to have that kind of approach to learning design? Yeah, in terms of the permission, I think you're, you're spot on there. A lot of times when I talk to teachers, I talk to parents, and especially when I talk to students, just me telling them it's okay is enough. I just give them permission. You have permission to go play in the river. You have permission to sit on the, the ground even or to go dig around in the, the garden. And I even have teachers that will say that, like, really? You, I can do that? I'm like, sure. And so that's one of the, the things I've noticed, like somebody just telling them that it's okay often is a, is a big part. their sort of learning and growth of how they can incorporate getting kids outdoors. But, you know, I'm at a really unique place now at the green school where we have, you know, basically a permaculture permaculture garden, you know, on campus and our classrooms are open. And so those opportunities happen all the time. And, you know, in, in, in teacher jargon, a teachable moment is something that you might just not be planning to happen or even a, a sort of a cognitive dissonance something happens and it doesn't make sense and you, you look at it and investigate further those kind of things happen quite often um and you know it, it's mostly good but as you say sometimes it's challenging if you're if you're trying to teach one concept and then something else happens and you have to switch gears and you know i guess a pragmatic example is i might be teaching some sort of math lesson or a science lesson and then suddenly a gecko falls down from the ceiling and distracts everyone. And we start talking about geckos. Um, happens quite often, actually, <laughs> that that sort of thing happens at our school. But I know that we're really unique. So, I, you know, I think those teachable moments are awesome. Uh, once you get that, and I think every school has this, but I'm the one they call whenever they find a spider, a snake. You know, and I, I kind of think that's a, a cool role to have. Like whenever somebody, it doesn't even matter who, it could be another teacher, it could be the security guards, it could be a student. They're like, Buck Kenny, we found this, come over here. So, you know, that's kind of fun because now I'm known as like the nature guy that can kind of help figure out what things are. And it just happened today, you know, like one of the administrators in the finance office sent me a photo and said, there's a big spider in our office if you want to come see it. So once you get that sort of reputation, um, it's kind of fun, but it's also could be distracting if you're, you know, in the middle of a lesson or you're in the middle of doing something else. So I think there's pros and cons to that as well. So, but I happily love having that honor of being the one they call. <laughs> what about you, Darcy? What do you think about it from a systemic or institutional level or whatever level, really? 
Yeah, and this this takes my mind. So I've, in the past, I've, I've worked more on global citizenship, which is a, a big, hairy, not spider, but concept for people to try and get their head around. Um, but in this sort of thing as well, we, we don't want to, you know, commodify nature and outdoor learning and those things too much as well. Like, I think there is a time and a place for that front-on approach to these sorts of things. But I, I really like it when you get a saturation of those small touching points that pop up, like Kenny was saying, you know, in the middle of a class where it just becomes relevant in the context of your maths lesson or uh, PE, you know, basketball tournament or th those, those sorts of things. So I really like looking for opportunity so that people have some sort of baseline of confidence and competence around a simple connection to, to global citizenship, opening our eyes to a bigger world. How does nature play a role in that? And just being able to, to switch that on into our classes, into our education system, into our conversations. You know, and again, you don't want to oversaturate it, but just making sure that there are some of those touch points on how do we have these concepts integrate and infuse into the systems and structures that exist. So, so while I was saying something before about you know the evolution of, of education, that big change, it's going to happen, you know, by teaspoons of change, which is the concept that I have, you know, what are these small touching points that we have that, that connect us to these concepts and bring them into our lives already. So, so there's a whole bunch of conversations here that I'm probably trying to pile into one around, uh, you know, when we have a, a disconnect or we're trying to revolutionize something or we're, we're trying to have closer connections and change making and, and these sort of aspects. When you look at it as, as a holistic approach, it's very, very difficult to just try and go in and, and make it work. So I, I try and just arm people, not with curriculum, but with concepts and ideas and try and slot it into their everyday life uh, and into the everyday classroom. But, you know, that takes a whole strategy itself. Um, but I do believe that we can throw in provocations and ideas and concepts into a normal daily life so that where we are getting some of these you know key literacies and competencies popping up into uh and and enhancing what we're doing hopefully not being too much of an add-on but more of a value add to what people might already be doing but this brings up the idea that that you had earlier about the lenses and global citizenship is a big hairy spider in many schools, global citizenship is something that they need to implement because of whatever accreditation body that they have. They want to implement. It's difficult to implement. We're talking about Taco Tuesdays and about something that happened one international day and you have global citizenship. But the two words global citizenship themselves are problematic or could be global and citizenship. Um, very anthropocentric if you look at it one way. Not so much if you look at it another way. How do we start to grapple with the complexity of something that is so often caught up in the superficial. Yeah, so luckily that's been the last of my 20 years of trying to explain myself and, and what the hell I do. <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, and I always ask a five-year-old for for insight because for a five-year-old, it comes down to to sort of thinking about, well, what does it mean to be a good person? And and that's that's where it starts. You know, and that conversation is the same conversation with a 55-year-old as it is a five-year-old. But then we throw in a couple of these terms because we don't want to know what it means to just be a good person as an individual, but how that fits into a group and into a global context and, and keep expanding our minds and, and frameworks. And then going back to your original question of who are you? Um, so for me, my favorite question isn't what is 
global citizenship, I think it's a pretty boring conversation where you try and come up with a definition. So I always use the question, are you a global citizen? And then it has to become personal and practical. And from that point, you have to define to yourself, well, what does global citizenship mean to me as a Ugandan um, corn farmer or as a, you know, a Beijing electrical worker or whatever it is, you know, how, what does that look like to us as an individual rather than having, here's a neoliberal, neocolonial idea of international school global citizenship. Do you fit into that? Uh, we, we get to define it for ourselves. Um, and then there's parameters around that and a bit of vocabulary that helps that process. But I think that's a pretty good starting point of what does it mean to be a good person and what does it mean for me to be a more active and effective global citizen, aka good person? <laughs> so yeah, I reckon that's probably that's why I try and break it down and, and make it more accessible. And talk a bit also of teaspoons of change. Yeah, I mean, so for me it's a concept. So it's it's not a program, it's not an organization. I really want people to be able to utilize this concept of my personal choices, decisions, and actions and the impacts they have on, on people on the planet. So, so I think for me, the, the most important thing is for people and particularly students as an educator is for them to feel like their actions matter. Step number one. Step number two is how do we understand our actions and their impact without a guilt trip, without a moral bashing, without telling people what to do, but trying to do that through inspiration, through connection, through conversation. Um, yeah, so Teaspoons of Change for me isn't about turning off the light switch and saving the world. It's about having a connection between your hand, your head and your heart, knowing that when you turn that light switch off, you're connecting your actions to impact. And then hopefully it spawns on from turning off a light switch to which university course you might do or future career or how you bring up a family or, you know, those, those bigger concepts. But we have to make that connection between our actions and their impact. Kenny, I'm going to uh, open it up. This is a little bit the et cetera section. I'll open it up to both of you, but, but uh, perhaps begin with you. What's what's on your mind? What's next on your horizons? What are some of the things that that Kenny uh, is thinking about and feeling uh, over the next, uh, I don't know, short, medium, longer term? That's an awesome question. Um, I'm always thinking about these kind of things. I think in the immediate term, you know, I always want to feel like I walk the walk and talk the talk. So just getting outdoors, I think we were talking about it before we started, just what I'm planning to do. So I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks to be out on my mountain bike exploring and having a sense of adventure and, you know, practicing what I preach, so to speak. But I think in the the bigger picture, one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, these experiences with nature, getting outdoors, outdoor education, they're all pieces of the pie. And just stepping back and taking a, 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 picture, a broader look at the bigger picture and where that fits in. So, you know, health and well-being is part of it for me now, thinking about how we all have been through pretty hard times in the last couple of years through lockdown and how that disconnection with nature that in a lot of cases was kind of forced on us has impacted our social emotional health. And how that is something I never really thought of before. I've always been sort of the biology nature, get outside and, you know, look for fish and insects, but stepping back and thinking, well, that's actually part of our social, emotional health and well-being. And we've had that basically tossed at us, you know, during the pandemic, pretty much without warning. And so stepping back and looking at that and coming up with an even bigger 
thought process or a bigger picture of how connecting with nature is just one part of that pie. So I think that's something I'm, I'm thinking about and working on in my mind as we talk now today. And as I'll, I think we'll be having more conversations in the future. What about you, Darcy? Same question. What's on your horizons? Uh, yeah, I'm going a little more granular these days. So, so whilst I talked about non-duality and all these wonderful concepts of connecting uh, as a, you know, cosmos, um, I'm actually trying to utilize tools that exist and redefine what they mean. So something I've been doing in my role is looking at ESG reporting. So environment, social governance reporting, which is a, you know, it's been a wonderful greenwashing exercise from the corporate world uh, and various others. But how do we bring this into the lives of our students so that they can grasp some of these concepts and turn them into something really powerful and meaningful and authentic? So I've been having a lot of fun with that in the recent past. And I, I just want to keep on going into a bit more depth uh, in that space. And same with, with carbon roadmaps and carbon mapping and these, these ideas. You know, they're wonderful and we see them in businesses, but how do we actually really take hold of them and turn them into something that's genuine, um, progressive, and hopefully will be revolutionized into something completely different. So, you know, this this year nine student that I'm working with here in Switzerland, he's about this ESG concept. And by the time they might uh, hit the corporate world or whatever's out there in the future, they're saying, oh, psh, ESG, that's so yesterday, you know, this regeneration policy that we have of circular economies and da, 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 they'll be on it. And, you know, concepts that we haven't even thought of before. So I, I think for me at the moment, I'm just trying to lay down some of the groundwork uh, for some key concepts and ideas that will hopefully be useful for, for ourselves and our, our students into the future. This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.design. That's www.coconut-thinking.design. We have resources there. We have articles, we have podcasts, webinars, and so forth. And look at www.intrepidednews.com where there are many wonderful authors and uh, fellow podcasters there. The past couple of episodes have brought in teachers and we will shift again in the next few episodes into the world of regeneration and the world of imagination. So look out for those. And again, we look forward to your comments and hope to speak to you soon. Bye-bye.